Our second lesson this morning comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And you can find this on page 187 of the New Testament section of your Pew Bibles. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What's in a name? Our names identify us. They allow us to address one another with specificity and without confusion. When we want them to, names can be used to bring great comfort and great pain. When we love someone, we might give them a nickname that rolls off our tongue with great affection. If we want to hurt someone, Few things are more effective than turning a name into a tease or a taunt. Names matter. We might be tempted to think that this is more true now than it has ever been. A quick Amazon search for books on baby names brings up so many options that in order to figure out which book to buy, you should probably start by reading the Amazon article on the best baby name books of 2019. The top recommendation is a book called Beyond Ava and Aiden, The Enlightened Guide to Naming Your Baby. But the importance of names is not a new phenomenon. In the book of the prophet Isaiah, written thousands of years ago, God speaks through the prophet to remind God's beloved people, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. For many of our ancestors in the faith, what mattered most about a name was its meaning and what the meaning indicated about that person's relationship with God. That's why there are so many occasions in the Bible when someone's name gets changed after that relationship changes. So Abram and Sarai become Abraham and Sarah after a covenant is made between them and God. Jacob's name is changed to Israel after he wrestles with an angel. Paul is Saul before his conversion on the road to Damascus. Clearly, names matter not just to us, but to God. So we see biblical figures naming their children in a way that reflects God's presence in that child's life. Abraham and Sarah were no exception to this. Now we might have expected that this elderly couple who really had no business having a baby would have chosen a name for that miracle baby that reflected the miracle. Maybe a name that meant God's promises, or God is faithful, or God's covenant, or even our God is full of surprises. 
Instead, when that miraculous baby is finally born, they give him a name that, rather than underscoring their deep faith in God's promise, actually points to their unbelief. For in Hebrew, the name Isaac means he laughs. Yes, when Isaac's mother heard that she would have a baby when Abraham was 100 years old and she was 90, after they'd spent an entire married life together without ever having children, she laughed. And who could blame her? The glut of baby name books on the market is just one indication of how much we like to be in control of our lives and our stories, of how hard we try to knit together our future so that they conform to a particular pattern we have chosen. But all too often we are confronted with events and even opportunities that we might never have imagined for ourselves. Whether these are good or bad, they have a way of pulling on a loose thread of our lives and unraveling the carefully constructed tapestry we think we are weaving. That unraveling is almost always terrifying because when it happens, we discover we have so much less control than we had hoped. In these stories we heard today from Genesis, it has been years since God first announced to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child, even though they've been unable to conceive their entire marriage. But something about this episode we heard today brings the promise to life for Sarah in a whole new way. When these three mysterious strangers appear and she overhears them predict that she will not only defy expectation, but biology and become pregnant long after pregnancy is a possibility for her. She can't help it. She laughs. Apparently, she manages to do so quietly to herself because Abraham and his trinity of guests don't hear her, but God hears her. And God knows that Sarah's laughter is not the kind that comes after a clever and well-told joke. Sarah's is the laughter of wonder and disbelief and even absurdity. A laughter that somehow opens her up in a new way to the possibility of a future so completely different than what she had imagined. She laughs at the very notion that God can do what everyone else knows is impossible. Create new life where the raw materials of life don't even exist. Nora McInerney knows what it's like to have her life turned upside down by a pregnancy she never imagined happening. Nora thought she had a pretty good idea of what her life would be like. But then her husband was diagnosed with brain cancer in his early 30s. They made a decision to have a child, even though he was sick. And then two years later, they decided to try to have a second baby, even though he had gotten sicker. Then at 11 weeks and six days into the second pregnancy, Nora had a miscarriage. 
Given her husband's declining health, she knew there would be no other chance to have another baby with him. The loss of that life of the unborn baby, as it always is, was unexpected and traumatic. And five weeks later, Nora's husband died, leaving her a widow and a single mother to their two-year-old son. The losses she endured in this short time were devastating and deeply unsettling, not just to her, but to the friends and family who rallied around her, loved ones who wanted nothing more than to be assured that she was okay, that she would be okay. And so she learned to be funny, to make herself and others laugh. Laughter became a coping mechanism, a way to deal with the awkward and uncomfortable feelings that her losses brought up for her and the people around her. Then, just 18 months after her husband died, something happened that Nora didn't see coming. She fell in love again. And then, unexpectedly, she became pregnant. She was not only surprised by this pregnancy, she was ashamed of it because it so did not follow the life script. She knew all the questions people would have because she had them herself. Should a woman grieving the death of her husband, which happened just a year and a half before, should she be happy again? Should she be with another person? Should she be pregnant? Nora had written an acclaimed memoir about her miscarriage and her husband's death, and she was about to head out on a book tour. She found herself hiding her pregnancy with billowy dresses and baggy clothes, both because she didn't want other people to know she was pregnant, but also because she was terrified that this pregnancy would also end in another miscarriage. She was afraid to let herself believe that this baby was real and would be born healthy and whole. That baby was born healthy, and Nora continues to speak and write about the strange expectations we put on ourselves and others when we endure loss and grief of any kind. She continues to do this work with humor. If you watch her TED Talk or hear her interview, chances are you will laugh more than you cry. The laughter she invites is laughter that helps open her audiences up to the truth of what she shares, that life so rarely unfolds the way we plan, that grief is never linear or predictable, that there is no such thing as moving on after a terrible loss, but that we can move forward even as we carry that loss with us, and that what we most need from each other is not to sit in judgment or create unrealistic expectations of what life or grief or even joy should look like, but to offer one another our acceptance and compassion, and love. 
Laughter that comes out of life's surprises, whether those surprises are welcome or unwelcome or both, is laughter that disarms us, that opens us to new possibility, that helps us cope with pain and loss, that enables us to imagine a future where there had appeared to be no future at all. This laughter creates the capacity in us for vulnerability and surrender. And when God hears it, and God always hears it, God knows it is a sign that we are open in a way that we may not have been before to being unraveled. Laughter opens us to the possibility that even with the mess that remains when things fall apart, God can create something new and vibrant and beautiful. Near the end of his life, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Christians in Philippi. He wrote the letter from prison, and he wrote it out of a sense of acceptance that persecution and death are the most likely outcome for him and for all those who claim their identity as followers of Christ. Yet even in those circumstances, this letter offers profound reflections on the Christian life, particularly these sentences we heard today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. In his book, Telling the Truth, Frederick Beekner writes, an acquaintance of mine said not long ago, there are two kinds of Christians in the world. There are gloomy Christians and there are joyful Christians. And there wasn't the shadow of a doubt which kind he preferred. There is little doubt as to which we all prefer and why not? Joy is at the end of it after all. Astonishment and joy are what our faith finally points to. And even St. Paul, in a way the gloomiest of Christians, said as much, though he was hardly less battered than the Jesus he preached by the time he'd come through his 40 lashes less one, his stonings and shipwrecks and sleepless nights. Yet at the end, licking his wounds in a Roman lockup, he wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. But it is at the end that he wrote it. Beekner continues, Rejoice is the last word and can only be spoken after the first word. The sheltering word can only be spoken after the word that leaves us without a roof over our heads. The answering word only after the word it answers. We worship a God who over and over and over again speaks the sheltering word when the roof over our heads is gone, who speaks the answering word. Our God does not save us from suffering or hardship or loss. Our God does not allow us to decide exactly how our lives will unfold and then knit together the events that we foresee into a tightly woven, perfectly patterned tapestry. God speaks the answering word when the fabric unravels, when the plans get upended, when things fall apart, 
when we think the last word is a word of tragedy or death or loss or barrenness. It is God's answering word that invites laughter, not because it's a joke, but precisely because it isn't. It is deeply, profoundly true that in spite of all appearances to the contrary, the last word is never a word of despair or suffering or loss, but acceptance and mercy and new life, which is so deeply and profoundly absurd, we can't help but laugh. Awkward laughter, incredulous laughter, too good to be true laughter, surrendering laughter, nothing to do but go with it, laughter, unraveling laughter. Laughter God uses to open us up to possibility, to make us and all things new. Amen.